liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Now, a veteran of Ukraine, if you can believe it. I was reached out by a former sponsor. I want to give a shout out to Fantasy Golf Insider who put us in contact. And he had a fascinating story. He went over there to fight. Uh, Mind-blowing stuff. And I ask a lot of questions that are very likely to get this episode at the, at the minimum demonetized. I have no idea why. I'm trying to uncover the truth. And who better to get the truth from than American than an American military veteran that went over there himself and saw it firsthand? So I implore YouTube to do the right thing and to not ban this episode, to not deplatform me, to not demonetize me, because all I'm trying to do is get to the truth, the truth of what's actually happening in Ukraine. And if that's too much to ask, well, then your platform doesn't deserve to exist. That's the truth. And I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that you guys will do the right thing and you will leave this episode up and allow people to decide what the truth is as to our involvement there, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. World War III is the threat at the end of the rainbow here. And if we can't discuss it openly and honestly, then you are essentially ushering us into that fate. And that is not anything to do lightly. So... Forgive my irritation and my anger in delivering this message, but I am pissed that we aren't allowed to talk about this stuff openly. And that's all I'm doing. I am asking questions that a lot of people have, and I'm trying to get answers to the questions that we need to know in order to make an educated decision as the American voting public, since you guys claim to defend democracy with your censorship. How about you allow us to make our own minds up as to what's happening there, huh? Thanks. Anyways, tonight's episode is brought to you by careerhackers.com. Go to careerhackers.com to sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a once daily email newsletter that'll give you some information, some tips, some brain benders, makes you think a little bit differently, allows you to craft who you are and how you present yourself to potential employers to get that job of your dreams or to start the business of your dreams. Either way, your first and only stop is careerhackers.com. It's free, no excuses, careerhackers.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, your humble host. And today I am joined by Paul Schwenison, who just was in Ukraine, I believe for the past 30 days. I'll allow him to tell his story, but thank you so much for uh, joining us, Paul. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a little over 30 days, just just about a biblical 40, as I recall. <laughs> well, sounds as if it might might have felt biblical too. Uh, so so go ahead yeah, and start off by bit. just telling us what you were what you were doing over there. Yeah, um, ex-military, and uh, you know, they there was sort of the the you know famous Zelensky speech of of anybody and everybody who has background and training come come help fight fight these invaders off if you can. And so that was a call I couldn't quite resist at the time, um, and 
and just sort of packed packed my my belongings, talked to the family, and and had their support, and and headed over to offer whatever I could, um, however I could. Wow, well, that's incredible. So let's start there. Why why did you feel compelled? Yeah, it's it's a long story. I mean, a lot of a lot of things going on, but from a from a liberty perspective, it was just just this this overwhelming you know sense that we all I think have, which is you know how much is enough when you when you have these you know these massive invasions of of countries like you know what Russia's doing what it's pulled off in Georgia and what it had already done in Chechnya and so forth where the world more or less ignored it this time seemed to be you know the moment in which everyone just said enough is enough we cannot accept this kind of bullying behavior anymore these are innocent people who are suffering uh you know the the moment that really hit me was hearing reports of of kids you know particularly kids having their homes destroyed and having their fathers run off to go try to help fight and i said man this you know we need we need to we need to step in and help wow so um <clears throat> how many uh foreign soldiers actually went do you know seems to be a bit of a black box i mean i've heard i've heard reports anywhere from 15 to 30,000 um i could believe either or, or none of those um, it's it's fairly unorganized at some level, almost by definition. I mean, it's sort of a chaotic situation, um, sure. and, the, and the call was open. They have this international legion, uh, which was intended to to try to collect and organize these foreign fighters, and it's had some degree of success. The territorial defense legion. Um, I did sign up through that. But a number of us, as we made it into country, realized that that wasn't particularly the best use of our time was to be waiting in in a warehouse, waiting for a bus to be sent, you know, shuttled to some front line somewhere. And in fact, you know, that proved correct. I mean, it wasn't it was almost almost a couple of days later that the cruise missile attacks hit hit uh, hit that very that very warehouse where these foreign troops were were being collected. So, so a lot of us have have opted to go our own ways to try to pitch in in our own individual capacities with people that we run into along the way. There's a lot of sort of spontaneous order happening in in theater um, with people trying to bring resources to bear. Wow, that sounds incredible. Um, so, what was your experience in the military? Just to give us a little background. Yeah, I was Air Force, um, kind of kind of a little bit of everything, which I think in some ways was was beneficial in this particular scenario i had background in in pilot training and background in acquisitions uh, weapon systems acquisitions as well as um, flight line maintenance and foreign area officer on my way out through the through the national guard side i actually got a bit of a taste of the combat rescue special operations side of the house as well and uh you know all those all those uh, sort of varying backgrounds were useful in trying to bring something something uh helpful to the to the fight there in ukraine right so you you arrive you fi figure out that basically it's it's a shit show it sounds like and and yeah. you end up helping helping people however you can what did you end up doing yeah primarily my focus you know it, it sort of it sort of morphed you know day by day um but early on it became evident to me that one of the one of the primary needs was strictly in a logistical capacity. Um, you know, as we've seen, the Russians are extraordinarily bad at managing their own logistics. 
Um, and Ukraine, thank God, has had the whole world backing them up. They have internal supply lines and, and everything riding all the way back through Europe and Poland and everything else. So I came into the theater through those supply lines, meeting people along the way, trying to understand what the what the you know the the most critical need was. And it became clear to me um, that that communications was the biggest one. The entire logistical system was being managed and operated through cell phone networks. I mean, people using you know uh, applications like Signal and Telegram and even WhatsApp and so forth. Um, and it's it's extraordinarily robust and very very effective, but it's completely reliant on cell phone networks. Mm. Um, and it was a shock to me that the Russians hadn't hadn't destroyed those right yeah. at, you know in the very first days of the war. If they had, I think the whole system would have come you know crashing down. So I worked very hard initially on trying to generate a backup satellite phone based network. Uh, so we were working with big donors back in in Berlin and Geneva and so forth to bring in a, a, a significant number of satellite phones that could be distributed, particularly in the in south of Kyiv region, so that if and when Kyiv was encircled, that they wouldn't be blind. Now, that ended up not happening. Kyiv, you know, sort of, sort of survived that first push. So thank goodness. Um, so after that, then, then my, my uh, I guess my focus sort of shifted more to trying to render direct help to individuals who were affected in the in the outskirts of Kyiv. So going up into into the very hot zones or freshly vacated zones at the at the Russian front and and just being one of the first people there, one of the first groups there to bring aid to people who hadn't seen, you know, civilization for a month. They hadn't had fresh bread in in 5 weeks. They you know, have just been living in in a hellscape. Um yeah, so that that's that was you know maybe in in a in a synopsis that's what I did. So you spent the entire forty days in or around Kiev or Kiev. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And there was never any like, I don't know, not hand to hand or active combat that was in Kiev, right? Uh, well, it's, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, it's at some level. <clears throat> at some level, the whole country, of course, is at war but only certain portions of it are an active war zone. And yet it, and yet there's a background war zone to everything, even places like Lviv way out in the far west that are, that are ostensibly green zones can be hit at any moment by a cruise missile attack. And we saw that over and over again. Um, and so even in downtown Kyiv, which was, which is arguably pretty safe. And we've seen European commissions going in and out and so forth. Right. Um, you know, we also see apartment complexes right next door, the seventh floor, Floor was completely blown out, and you know curtains building out in the wind. So, you know what what is a what is an active war zone? What isn't is is a little little you know <laughs> up in the air. Yeah, um, a little gray there. Yeah, in terms of, um, yeah in terms of hand to hand combat, you know I I you know luckily was was not in that in that situation where we're directly fighting. Um, but some of the people in my team were I've got videos of, of you know tracer fire incoming and so forth. So it 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 could be hot and it, and it could. It could come to anyone anytime. Wow. Well, so the just to give you a bit of my opinion on the entire conflict, you know, I I know that the the East seems to be relatively pro-Russian, whereas the West is, you know, nationalistically Ukrainian. Is that it was that your experience as well? 
That was certainly my impression going in. I think that's I think that's basically true. But the, but the complexity that that came to my mind after being there for a while is that you know the the sympathy to to Russia was was and is largely cultural and, li and linguistic. Right, the East mm. speaks primarily Russian instead of Ukrainian, and so forth. Um, what I what I learned is that that Russian speaking sympathy, as it were, is far broader than I thought. It's not just the East. I mean, people, you know, a, a, a good number of people, even in Kiev and in the central part of Ukraine, speak Russian as well. That doesn't mean that they have any sympathy whatsoever to Russians, or especially to this conflict. Um, sure, sure. So, so I guess what I saw firsthand is that the, you know. The, the the resistance to the Russian invasion was was strong and almost entirely one hundred percent widespread amongst amongst Ukrainians. Um, I I had heard that you know the farther east you go, the the less Ukrainian people feel, and that just didn't seem to be true. And I think I think particularly in this moment with with the invasion, it has it has cemented and firmed up Ukrainian identity like nothing else could possibly have. Yeah, well, that would. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you you remember the United States after 9/11. Nothing brings uh, a people together like feeling like they're being invaded. So, yeah, um, for sure. well, I, I I doubt you have any better feel for this than I do, since you were on the ground. And this is kind of a macro question, but uh, do you have any idea of who is winning this war? Uh, every day it seems like I, I read or or watch a different report saying that. Oh, the Russians are absolutely annihilating the Ukrainians. All the Ukrainians are, you know, leveling tremendous casualties against the Russian invaders. And I, I have no idea. Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think we're all just trying to, you know, watch this and, and watch it unfold. And, and, you know, one big takeaway is that all the experts seem to have been completely wrong on this one, as, as they often are. I mean, almost every analyst predicted it was three days before Kyiv would fall, and and uh, that the Ukrainians didn't really have much of a chance, and so forth. And they've 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 stood up incredibly well. Um, yeah. You know, you know, their their sort of strategic expertise, which didn't seem to which didn't seem to offer much. But you know, just as a as a microscopic example, I mean, F fifteen pilots that I that I know were not surprised at how well the Ukrainian Air Force was able to hold hold its own because they've been training with them for years and years. Um, and we see that re recapitulated throughout the theater. I mean, NATO training has really, really kicked in. Um, and, and just the the enormous supply chain that, that the West is able to offer to the Ukrainians has has really given the Russians pause. Now, at the same time, it's it's a behemoth. Russia is massive. It's historical and traditional sort of modus operandi for warfare is just overwhelm them with raw raw force, raw numbers. Right. So I mixed. I mean, watching you know watching the Russian army you know steadily bleed itself down by upwards of you know a quarter of its of its war fighting capacity you know, breaking itself against against this stiff Ukrainian resistance is kind of stunning to all of us. Um, yeah. Can it last? It's anyone's guess at this point. At this point, the one thing we've all learned is don't don't uh, don't say anything absolutely because you just don't know. Um, sure. I think is if we continue, we as the West continue to to supply those weapons and expertise i think they can they might be able to hold this off but I, if i was a betting man i would say they're probably going to lose the east 
mm-hmm. lose the Donbass and 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 um, the Crimea will will be firmly established as a as a Russian Russian puppet state. And that's too bad. I mean, that's at some point that's that's sort of capitulating to to the bullying move in the very first place. Um, I'd like to see it reversed. I would love to see the East withstand the assault and and maybe even for Ukraine to regain the Crimea. But as a libertarian and as an individualist, I mean, if if there were some way to broker some kind of uh, maybe a forum or a referendum that would allow individuals who feel strongly about you know identity, whether that means you know if if the majority of people in the Donbas really really did want to be a surrogate Russian state, then you could and you could assure a an actual representative vote. I would support them as much as I as I'm supporting the Ukrainians right now. Sure. Um, I, I don't believe in states. I don't, I don't believe in their in their overwhelming power to dictate individual aspirations. Well, that's totally reasonable, and I I see it similarly. And you know, it, I think it was uh, Donbass in one other area. I can't remember the name of it that that had kind of referendums, essentially saying that they would prefer that. So. Do you think that those were legitimate votes? I have no idea. Because a lot of people, a lot of people say that they yeah, weren't legitimate. I don't, and I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I've heard mixed reviews, and and I, I've talked to Ukrainians on the ground, and and they they seem to in, indicate to me that they were not legitimate. That they were sort of sort of rush, Russian campaigns to you know as a pretext, and that certainly could be true, and and, and frankly probably is true. And regardless of what was the current situation is far different. I think if you pulled the audience in, in Mariupol a year ago, it'd be a radically different answer than what they give today, right? They've, they've been utterly decimated by this Russian aggression. I think the sympathy for, for Russians has has essentially evaporated. Yeah. Well, if bombs were dropping near me, I probably wouldn't be really pro whoever was doing right. it. So that makes sense too. Right. Um, right. So the... Uh, you know the the Russian narrative on this, or or some of the anti-war people's narrative on this, including myself at times, has been that essentially Russia is responding to consistent push towards their border uh, via you know NATO or the UN, and and it's hard for me not to look at you know what the U.S. government itself has done militaristically over the past twenty years or or much longer really, and and say to myself, well, there's no there's no rationale behind that. It does seem like a rational decision to say, we want a buffer between us and you guys. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't want Ukraine to be basically a surrogate NATO member. Is that at all a reasonable analysis or what do you think? I don't think it's unreasonable. Um, I've heard, I've heard that analysis. I've heard that, that, uh, that refrain a lot. Um, and I think it, it needs to, it needs to be part of the larger discussion. Um, it's so hard to tell. I mean, you know, from a personal standpoint, I mean, it's clear to me that that in the last 20 years, the trajectory of, of, of the Ukrainian spirit, if you want to put it that way, has been to move towards the West, to move towards free and open economies, free and open movement, to be part of, of, of the free West. Um, and I can't blame them. I mean, you know that 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 is a better way of life than the alternative, which is autocratic and and stifling and so forth. So to that extent, you know, the, the U.S. maneuvers towards you know hinting at NATO membership and 
as, as I said, allowing allowing and, and uh, supporting NATO training and NATO weaponry and so forth could certainly be viewed as, as you know, a provocation. And that's certainly been the pretext for, for Putin invasion. But I just, I think having been there and as I, as I digest, I just don't think that that is a, a calculated provocation by the West to try to threaten to try to threaten Russia's, you know, existential claims to to its sovereignty. I think it is a genuine expression of realizing that Russia is capable and has proven that it is an expansionist, it is on an expansionist rampage. It is trying to recreate the Soviet empire and that the only realistic reaction to that, at least I suppose the, the most cynical reaction to that is to say we need to buff, you know we need to buttress our defenses. We need to we need to establish a barrier against Russian aggression. And that's what the last 15, 20 years have been of, of trying to establish and buttress the NATO defense bulwark against Russian expansion. So it's it's almost as if the East and West are both making the same claim. Right, they're both basically saying we're afraid of you taking us over. Therefore, we're going to, you know, we're going to beef up our defenses. And you know, ironically, each of those then uses that other side's uh, beefing up as a as a you know pretext for saying, well, we feel threatened now, right? Yeah, of course. So I guess but I have to side with the West on this one. I think I think Russia Russia is by and large in the wrong on this. Sure. Well, I think anytime you're you're invading somewhere, uh, it's pretty easy to to say that's wrong. <clears throat> I, I the only thing that gives me pause in that analysis is what happened with the Maidan Revolution in 2014 and Victoria Nuland being caught on hot mic saying, you know, fuck the EU, and essentially essentially deciding for the Ukrainian people in their freely elected democratic process on who would likely be the replacement in that period. It's it's very hard for me to swallow um you we are we are defending democracy when we essentially initiated a coup there eight years ago uh, it's it, that 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 does make that does make it a little bit more gray for me but uh regardless i i don't want to you know get into a you know knockdown drag out fight with you on it i just i just thought it would be interesting to get your analysis on it and and uh ultimately you know my my main interest and i'm sure yours as well is that this war stops and that there is there is peace to be had. Uh, <clears throat> do you think that, I know there's been negotiations. Is there, is there any chance that, that this ends soon? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's, I think it's gonna, uh, it's, you know, it's been going on for, for over a decade. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know what to make of the Maidan. Uh, you know, I, I, I spent quite a bit of time right there, right there at, at the at the at the you know at the sort of central central area where the Maidan revolution occurred. I saw the bullet holes in the hotel I was staying at, and so forth. Um, you know, I've, I've watched the, the you know the documentary, which some people consider a you know a propaganda piece, and it has its it has its you know it has its perspective, of course. But by and large, the the sort You're of spontaneous Ukraine on fire, Ukraine, I assume. Yeah, the winter on fire. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, that I see. I, and I talked to people who were there. Um, 
there there is there is a, a time and place it's very much like the american revolution when there's 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 a, a a mood that just sort of strikes the population and people just sort of spontaneously come together and say you know what we're standing up and we're and we're not we're not going to accept this kind of imposition and in that case that was that was when yukushenko had had rejected the agreement for european free trade which everybody had expected would happen and so that was the catalyzing moment um yeah there's always politics there there's always some kind of back dealings that you know nobody can quite even understand let alone control and so forth so so again my my sympathy is is towards individuals and, and individual freedom and and the ability to live as as free men and women in peace so in, in my sense of uh you know my goal is actually not to to end the war i would like to see the the war end of course but not if it meant the extinguishing of that sort of spirit of liberty i mean some at some point the end goal for me is to make sure that 44 million people have the freedom to live how they want to and if that requires a war lasting another 10 years then that's a fight worth fighting um that's easy for me to say i'm not the one who would be you know having to foot those bills and to and to live with that kind of destruction but you know we as americans have been there ourselves and, right. and we spent years fighting for individual autonomy as well and god forbid we may have to do it again <laughs> so yeah, no kidding. before i come down on this and i suspect suspect most uh, liberty lovers do as well yeah well and you know a lot of people don't like to talk about it but the uh, the American Revolution was in in some regards a proxy war itself with the French, you know, backing us. So it's like this is this is how wars are. They're messy. It's not it's not ever real cut and dry or clean. And it's not just like the people versus its government. Well, it's not never, but it's very rarely. Um, so I think that's probably a similar situation here, which is why I've tried to keep an open mind as to you know what I'm witnessing and and trying to analyze these things um, as fairly as possible. My my biggest concern is that. You know, Russia has uh, the largest nuclear arsenal in the world, and and they are. Uh, I am concerned that if if they are to suffer such serious losses, that in a moment of desperation, Putin might decide to use nuclear weapons, and and God forbid, you know, that happens. But God God knows how the U.S. or any other uh, adjacent countries might respond to such an act. Um, you know, that that to me is probably my biggest concern, you know, no disrespect to the Ukrainian people who I do feel tremendous sympathy for. Uh, but I really that is my biggest concern here. Uh, <laughs> did you give yeah, that any yeah. consideration? Because it seems as if if Russia does lose this war, it actually increases the chance of them using nuclear weapons. I, am I is that a fair analysis or what do you think? No, I think I yeah, certainly certainly an analysis that I've heard over and over again. I don't I I, I couldn't begin to say i mean it's such a such a complicated situation um you know this goes back to mutual assured destruction and and, and everyone's making that calculation of you know yeah. how much how much is too much how much assistance is too much i mean we're sending you know convoys full of javelins and in-laws and and all these kinds of weapons to you know to ukraine very much like we did in the proxy war in afghanistan you know in in the in the 80s Right. Um, and, and everybody managed to coyly pull off the pull off the facade that we're not actually actively engaged in the war. 
right? And everyone's saying, well, we can't really do a NATO no-fly zone because that would be, you know, crossing some invisible, invisible line. So I think, you know, at, at the moment, that balance has been has been uh, has been met, right? We're, we're able to toe that very fine line between active support and too much support that would prompt, you know, some sort of nuclear engagement. But, you know, it was watching the ship go down just last night or two days ago. Um, you know, you, you see the, the level of, of Russian defeat. You know, they, they may lash out. It wouldn't it wouldn't frankly surprise me all that much to see this thing go go nuclear. Um, yeah, that, that's and what do we do? What, what do we do at that point? I mean, that's, that's just that's just that's just crazy. Um, that's that's World War Three. Do we start doing city for city? Trading, trading blows until until there's nothing left. I don't know. I, I I think that's just that's just beyond comprehension. Yeah, for you and me both, man. And I I pray it doesn't go there. Obviously. Um, well, I since you were you spent time on the ground, you know, uh, again a, a major anti-intervention narrative has been that we are arming, you know, the Azov Battalion, which does have uh, some sort of Nazi history, uh, you probably can now speak to this better than, than I can guess at it. So is, is that an overblown analysis as to their, you know, kind of white power nationalist type energy? Yeah, I spent most of my time in Kiev and wasn't, wasn't, you know, necessarily interacting with Azov Battalion. Um, I have, I have friends who are, at, at, you know, going down there now. Um, and I do feel that it's overblown. I, I wouldn't say that it's, 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 invented but i do get the sense that it's over overblown very much like the overblown idea you know putin's narrative that you know that they're going to go in and denazify ukraine itself i mean it's 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 sort of it's almost ridiculous um now i, I want to keep my eyes wide open to what's going on with azov battalion and and if if there are elements of that that use this use this conflict as an opportunity to promote some sort of nasty you know, nationalist, you know, ideology that that impacts, again, the, the individual liberties of, of free people, then I guess we'll just go right back again, you know, hammers and tongs and start fighting the Ukrainians this time. Um, it doesn't, you know, to me, the lens on this one is individuals, not, not you know, supporting states. Yeah, well, that this is exactly my concern. And you, you referenced it just a few minutes ago, in that, you know, we armed the Afghanis, in the 80s against russia and then we ended up fighting them not long after and and i i fear that that could be the case here too which is why i asked about it um so there's there's been lots of footage uh everyone is claiming that the civilian casualties are coming either from you know the russian side exclusively or from the ukrainian side exclusively i think as with most war it's going to be some of both uh do you have any opinion as to the ukrainian military shelling eastern civilians because that has been that has been a claim by russians as well as the anti-intervention crowd for the longest time and i have no idea the legitimacy of it i don't either um again that that's that's that was the eight year eight year conflict in the donbass that preceded preceded this sort of you know major uptick in in, in violence and frankly the uptick in, in the world attention on the whole deal Right. Um, having been there, been in the Kiev region, you know, it's, it's been clear to me that it, that the Russian modus has been 
has been unequivocally to to bomb and shell civilians and with 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 no compunction whatsoever um so if if there was one side to believe quote unquote over the other it certainly seems to me to have been the ukrainian side the ukrainians are 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 correct in their assessment of russian of russian tactics and russian uh is sort of ignoring ignoring this this sort of you know geneva's can you know standards of, of warfare right. um you know I've, I've seen firsthand i've seen some you know in in the aftermath of a uh, russian retreat you know i've seen i've seen bodies i've seen bodies with hands tied behind their back this is this is not a staged kind of thing you know this is this is really happening um could that very same thing be happening in the east uh, against russians I'm afraid so. I'm, I'm almost certain. It, almost certain it is. Whether it's systematic, whether it's defining or not, right. I think is is the is the crucial distinction here. Um, I think it is defining of the Russian of the Russian system, and it's not necessarily that it's systematic or defining from a from a national and strategic position. It's just that they're so poor at doing their combined arms and their and their warfare that they that they very quickly sort of revert to the lowest common denominator, the, the lowest form of violence. Yeah. You give any 18 year old a, a weapon and, you know, complete authority and this shit starts to happen all the time, right? Yeah. All the way through history. Um, you know, the same thing was happening in the very same place 200 years ago, read, reading Tolstoy again, I'm, it's, it's just uncanny. The same thing, the same dynamic is there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that that said, I, I think that it's probably happening, you know, from from the other way around as well, but on a much more limited basis and sort of and almost in an accidental kind of way rather than in a in a uh, in a systematic way, the way it is happening from Russians towards Ukrainians. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. That's a fair analysis. Um, so, you know, the. I think I think my my guiding principle in my analysis of all of this has been that while certainly the liberty of Ukrainians matters, the biggest thing that we should try to avoid is World War III because that is just such an unimaginable scale of death and destruction and financial, economic destruction, everything uh, that that is really the worst possible outcome. Uh, I don't I don't even know <laughs> exactly how to put this other than to say. I, I think that that's my priority. Just being honest, and if if Ukraine has to lose its sovereignty, I would be I would prefer that over the outcome of World War Three. And and I obviously you went and you fought, so you're going to have an affinity for the Ukrainian people on a level that I do not. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is it is it worth us risking escalating towards World War Three to maintain their sovereignty? It's a fine question. I think I think fundamentally, I'm probably with you on this. I think most most rational people would would be with you. You know, this is this goes back to like, is it better to be red than dead kind of situation, right? Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, at, at, at some level, you know, how how much is it better to be alive and and under the thumb of an of an autocratic state? Um, or is it better to go down fighting, right? Yeah. Now, in this case, the nuance to your question is, do we all go down, you know, does the whole world risk nuclear annihilation in order to protect the independence and sovereignty and, and individual freedoms of a relatively small sliver of people we just don't know? Exactly. And that, 
that that's the first time in history where that's actually been a realistic question, right? It, you know, in the sense that yes, we now have the potential for a world war that leads to nuclear nuclear holocaust for everyone, or at least a, a very large portion of the human human population. I don't know. That, that's 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 an insane question, but it's a very real. <laughs> A very real one right now, and you know, I would, I personally would would be willing to risk maybe some in order to prevent this kind of aggression. But I also, with you, don't want to. I wouldn't want to see Minneapolis and Spokane and you know Washington D.C. go up in a puff of smoke in order to protect the individual liberties of people in Chemelinsky and Venezia and Zyotomir. Exactly. Um, that's a trade-off I, I, I could not accept if I was if I was presented with it. Now we can we can get fairly close towards that tipping point without going over it, but nobody knows exactly where that where that point is. And we're dealing with irrational actors who are in the midst of major egocentric kind of decision making. Exactly. And so we're gonna be damn careful. And I think we're we're effectively towing that line at the moment, but it could it could it could be crossed any minute. I mean, it might be yeah. happening. It might be crossing as we're having this conversation, for all we know. Well, exactly. I, we could have a mushroom cloud in my backdrop at any minute. So it's like this this is just just an incredible time to be alive, and let's hope it's not our last days of being alive because right. it, it really it really is dangerous. And and I I think that that's that's probably been my biggest concern is that. There is a bit of a flippant attitude, and this is always the case when it comes to to politicians. But you know, with them talking about, uh, I think it was Lindsey Graham who was tweeting out, you know, it's up to the American or the the Russian people to decide or to topple uh, Putin. And it's like, well, I mean, would how would we respond if Russia was telling it's up to the American people to decide if they're going to topple Biden or if we have to do it? I mean, that would be that would be viewed as as a very uh, antagonistic behavior and and i just i can't believe that we're here uh, honestly it's it's stunning to me um did you have any any warning in the lead up to this that this was coming i mean i, I you know I, I know a lot of people were talking about the potential for conflict obviously the uh, united states government came out and said we think this invasion's happening uh did you when when did you become aware that this was going down and that you were going to go I, I was I was I was not privy to any more information than any of the rest of us in in the run up to this. I was watching okay. watching the headlines just just like everyone else. Um, so yeah, I, I got I got the word at the same time everybody else everybody else did on this. Um, and like I said, I, I think I think it, it, you know from a from a from a liberty defending perspective, this has actually been a a fairly significant moment. I think seeing the the almost worldwide sort of collective response to to at least be sympathetic with ukrainian flight if not actively supporting it is a really good thing i mean it is it has simultaneously sort of split the world right we have you know the majority of russians on you know unaccountably very much in support patriotically supportive of this operation partly because of their own sort of information lockdowns of course in China is sort of ambivalent, and then India is sort of ambivalent, and so forth. So it's not been it's not been a perfect victory, but I think in, in many ways it is it is it has concentrated the world's attention to to understand what is actually at play here. That 
that a life of, of freedom, living in, in a system defined by, again, free markets and free movement and, and a limited state and, and so forth, it's actually been a really good thing for, for the liberty movement is to put this into high relief. The Europeans, for, for, you know, for their part, have been for decades sort of anemic about the whole question. It, almost, it was almost passe to even bring up such, such a question in the first place. Now it's been brought brought to their doorstep in a very very clear and present way. So I think that's the silver lining to this is is putting it at the forefront of people's minds. What does it mean to be free? Sure, it's not a clear answer, but at least it's a, at least it's a clear question. Well, it's a it is a critical question too, and and as you can tell by my shirt, you know I would prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery, uh, but at the same time, it, you don't get either. <laughs> with with nuclear holocaust so that's that's the line that we have to walk um right man what a what a wild what a wild 40 days for you brother i'm i'm so i'm so glad that you're safe uh i i really commend you on your courage i, I think what i struggle with most is that with the lockdowns that happened over the past two years it's hard for me to to see any of these governments that are you know, allegedly intervening on the behalf of people's democratic, you know, independence or free rights or anything like that. I just can't take them seriously, to be honest. Like, uh, they don't believe in us being free. They don't believe in us having liberty to decide our own health choices or whether or not we want to wear a mask or any of this stuff. And it's like, I, I think it's it's really shaken my my belief in any government valuing our rights you know they they just simply didn't respect them for two years yeah. and and yeah. it's like yeah what's happening in ukraine is obviously worse than what happened to us um but it just it just makes it hard for me to take any of their proclamations of we are fighting for the independence of these people and it's like you don't know you don't mean that <laughs> so just curious what your yeah. thoughts are on that it's funny i i i'm inclined to agree with you um I th I, th I think the the sort of the the amount of of imposition of authority in the name of of this health crisis you know disturbed me deeply. It may maybe sort of primed me for wanting to go 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 in go fight yeah go fight uh, you know in some sort of backhanded kind of a way. I mean, I mean I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you in the in that. Well, I'll give you an example. Well, while, while I'm in there. Well, in Ukraine, ostensibly fighting for freedom, and my wife is calling me up in tears, saying she just got a letter from the local county planning and zoning commission, saying that we had an order, a cease and desist order, sent to us in the mail, saying that we had ten days to remove a wooden deck that we had built on our property that we bought, you know, six months ago, that we put a, a, a yurt tent on, and we're happily renting it out to Airbnb folks. Like a perfect, a perfectly moral transaction, right? People who just right. want to stay the night in a cool place, and and they're telling us you got to you have to dismantle that immediately. You did not you did not get authority. You did not get permission from the planning and zoning authority, and you didn't get a building permit. And all this other stuff. I thought, what could be more Soviet sounding than this <laughs> damn thing? I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a bomb-throwing anarchist and so forth, but it really bugs me to pieces to realize just how far we have slipped in, in terms of our of our recognition of our own own liberty. We don't have it right here. Uh, 
for for our government to profess to be defending liberty and fighting the good fight and 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 uh, defending freedom is hollow because in some ways we've already given up so much of our freedoms and and liberties in the first place. I mean, my that experience, that contrast for me has already pushed me into seriously considering biting the bullet and and entering politics to try to be able to you know exert some kind of pushback from the top and say, hey, these county commissions are completely out of control. Why should I have to request permission from the Politburo to make a platform on my own damn land? Right? <laughs> it's insane. We've already we've already crossed that Rubicon. Right. And now trying to get that territory back is going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. No, no kidding. Yeah, I'm, really I'm building. Sorry. And, and, the, and the irony is that probably half of this county would consider me some sort of weirdo crank for even bringing up the question. Right. <laughs> It goes to show how far we've fallen that yeah. that uh, expecting to be able to utilize your property in your own you know decision making is is considered a radical thought these days right. but I'm in the middle of building six houses right now and it's taken me three years to get through planning three years to get just permits to build six houses in California a state that desperately needs housing inventory I mean and th and then people wonder why. Um, you know, housing is so outrageously overpriced. And then we had the lockdowns, which messed up the supply chains, which made inflation go rampant, not to mention all the printing, borrowing, spending that they're doing uh, during the COVID response. And it's just like, man, I, I I think that that's probably why I've become more of a, you know, kind of a quasi-nationalist libertarian in the sense that I we have so many problems here in our own backyard that it's hard for me to be like, I want to go help everybody in the world. It's like, man, we got a hell of a lot of problems. And and from my own selfish vantage point, I would like people like you to be right here fighting for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm with you. I, like I say, that that was one of my big revelations in this moment was was just realizing exactly that, that we have a hell of a lot of our own housekeeping to do. You know, we've already we've already spent, you know, 25 years, you know, dabbling in trying to make the world safe for democracy, quote unquote, and, you know, extremely limited success. Yeah. burning an unbelievable amounts of, of blood and treasure in the process. Meanwhile, our own our own ship is quietly going under the waves, partly because it's a cultural phenomenon, partly because we just, I don't know, somehow we've just allowed it. We've allowed uh, bureaucratic sclerosis to take over our entire culture. And we're okay with it. We, we, we happily allow it. Uh, half half the people cheer it on, which is the the thing yeah. that I really didn't expect. I mean, I if you had told me two years ago that you could lock down this country for over a year and uh, not only that the people would not fight, like I would have thought that would have been a civil war just off jump. Um, but then then that half of the country would cheer for it and shame anybody that that pushed back at all, that even gave lip service to it. I wouldn't yeah. have believed you. I mean, it just it's unimaginable to me how far we've fallen from. The principles I thought were foundational uh, to this country and and to you know libertarian ideology itself, it's just it's just stunning. It really is. Yeah. yeah. No, but I I agree with you one hundred percent. I don't know. I don't don't know how you how you change that. I don't either, uh, man. You know, the perhaps this is my my motivation for Ukraine is is you know that there are some threats to liberty that are just very very clear and very stark you've got you know a russian soldier and a russian tank and all you got to do is put a hole in it um trying to deal with our own problems is 
is far broader, far deeper, and much less overt. Um, and and you know, I, I, there's no hole to there, there's nothing to put a hole in, right? In, right? in this in this scenario, we have half of our country or more is very quietly and and eagerly willing to give up freedom for for perceived security. Um, and I, yeah, how do you fix that? I have no idea. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. Well, this this has been an incredibly enlightening conversation. And uh, again, I want to commend you for your courage. I want to thank you for your time. Um, man, what a what a life. <laughs> just just an incredible story. And uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm very glad that you were able to get in and out of there safely. Um, if there's anything people, you know, can help support or if you have any social media you'd like to let people know about, feel free. Well, I appreciate that. Um, my wife uh, has done a lot of uh, fundraising on Facebook. We're actually in the midst of, of a campaign to try to raise enough money to buy 10 uh, used Toyota vehicles in Poland to send a convoy up to the guys who are working on extraction operations in Kharkiv. Um, so if anybody has has a couple hundred bucks to spare or something and wanted to pitch into that, uh, they can reach her at uh, Benta Dore. That's B-E-N-T-H-E. Uh, space D O R E on Facebook, and she's she's got a campaign that she's working there. We've actually raised, I think, at this point, it's over twenty two thousand um, dollars. Spent most of it, gave it directly in food and and cash to Ukrainians. Um, with this phase two, I'm actually con contemplating going back and trying to facilitate this vehicle vehicle operation um, into Kharkiv, which is which is uh, the new ground zero. Wow. Well, I, I hope you guys, or I wish you guys continued success. Uh, thank you so much for informing my audience as to your experience over there. I think it will be highly illuminating for them because we're all struggling to get a, you know, our hands around this this story. It's it's a, uh, especially. I mean, it's the, the way the news cycle is these days. It's impossible to tell the truth about anything. But when it comes to war, well, then the the propaganda arms from all all edges are, are going crazy. So it, it makes it a real struggle. So yeah. this has been invaluable to us. So thank you again. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I want to thank Paul for giving us a little bit of his time. What an incredible story. And wow, it definitely uh, pushes some of my preconceived notions about what's going on over there. It, it made me ask more questions. It probably gave me more questions than it did answers in hindsight. Now I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's all the more reason that we probably shouldn't be involved because this is very complex, very convoluted, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of political infighting and backroom dealing and God knows what else is actually really going on there. I think we can all admit there's a lot more than meets the eye, and this episode certainly highlighted that. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. If you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com become a supporting member, or go to toplobster.com, pick up some Liberty Lockdown merch, support the show, spread the word, let people know what I'm doing and what we're about here. I really appreciate the uh, the support I've gotten so far. And thank you guys so much for sharing it. The episodes continue to go viral in places that I don't even know about. And we continue to get more and more listeners, more and more viewers week after week. Uh, it's mind blowing. And I couldn't be doing it without you guys. So Thank you again, and thank you as always. Just so you guys know, Judge Knapp is legitimately on every Thursday. The last episode with him didn't do that many downloads, and I think it's because people thought it was a replay or like a re-upload of the prior week. It wasn't. That was fresh. So like every Thursday, Judge Knapp. So make sure you download him. 
make sure you know that it's not a it's not a repeat i'm not sending up promos or anything like that before we get out of here i want to thank three more five-star reviews on apple Podcasts. that's up to 368 five-star reviews incredible chris farrow says one of the best clint consistently delivers a fantastic collection of commentary interviews and even some actual journalism rare these days his podcast is definitely up there as one of the best libertarian options available thank you so much chris i really do appreciate it we got pb slinger five stars says relevant topics and guests with good humor humility and sanity in these insane times keep up the good work and i shall pb slinger thank you and last but not least we got stern fan 345 says one of the best clint is always on point and is one of the best in the liberty movement always honest always patient and does a great interview uh, one of these days, I'm going to get you guys to just say you're the best. I appreciate all the one of the best. I'm going to be the best one day. Hey, you got to shoot for the moon, baby. Shoot for the moon like Bitcoin. Anyways, thank you guys so much for leaving all these reviews for me. As I've said a thousand times, it helps with the algorithms when you do. If you leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, they have uh, the capacity to leave a review. It always helps when people are searching for podcasts, if I have a ton of great reviews, then obviously people are more apt to check me out. Not to mention that the stupid algorithms like a bunch of reviews. So if you guys could keep doing that, that's a great cheap way to support the show. Thank you guys. I will catch you on Thursday with Judge Andrew Napolitano back in the building. We're out. <music>